The authoritarian impulse of the American left is reaching new levels today with members of Congress pressuring cable providers now to remove conservative outlets from their services. Just how far are they willing to go? Friends, it's time for Hold the Line. Welcome to Hold the Line, I'm Buck Sexton. So we've been telling you for a while that the purge was underway and that it would not get better. In fact, it would only get worse. Because as Democrats rack up more victories in their efforts at suppression, at the ideological annihilation of the other side, they have absolutely no interest whatsoever in letting up. No, they view this as an encouragement to more authoritarianism. They take this as an opportunity to crush their opponents. They're not just running around the battlefield in celebration. They are bayonetting the survivors. They view this as their moment. And that's why, as you see on Capitol Hill, there are members of Congress who are going all the way here to try to make it effectively impossible for there to be conservative Republican mass communication without at least it being controlled opposition, you know, saying things that are acceptable to the left, which means what's really the point. Here you have a letter from Representatives uh, Ishu and McNerney uh, to AT&T CEO John Stanky, and identical letters were sent to all major, major service providers. AT&T currently carries Fox, Newsmax, and OAN. As a company that serves 17 million Americans, AT&T plays a major role in the spread of dangerous misinformation that enabled the insurrection of January 6th and hinders our public health response to the current pandemic. That's right, the insurrection that now, not only are you and I as anybody who voted for Trump, assuming you voted for Trump, responsible for that. We're responsible for the insurrection because we voted for one of two candidates in a federal election. Uh, but also now the cable providers are responsible, you see. Now, the Democrats don't actually believe that the cable providers are at fault here. But this is a means, this is a mechanism for turning up the pressure on them. This is how they make the cable companies do what they want them to do, which is a purge of conservative channels or right-leaning channels. Anything to the right of center in the news ecosystem, unacceptable. In fact, it's dangerous. They want you to know it's dangerous. That's what they're telling you. And uh, are you planning to continue caring? This is also from the letter. Fox News, Newsmax, and OANN on UVerse, DirecTV, and AT&T, uh, AT both now and beyond any contract renewal date. If so, why? Yeah, that's right. They are demanding that these channels get rid, I'm sorry, that these cable providers get rid of channels that have a point of view that the Democrat Party does not like, clearly does not agree with. Doesn't this feel a little authoritarian to you? I mean, when a, when a new government comes into power in, in a democracy. We're still in a republic, I know, right? We still have democratic processes. When that happens, don't we expect that there's supposed to be some effort to bring everybody together a little bit? I mean, just, just, uh, just pretend like you're the government for everyone and then you can do all the crazy left-wing stuff that makes us see that that was all a lie? They're not even going through those motions, are they? No, they are seeking the annihilation of their ideological opponents in contemporary American discourse. That's what's happening right now. Social media, totally in on this. In fact, the most powerful arm of this suppression in many ways, the little fact checker clowns that social media outsources its suppression to, they're just Democrat left-wing activist hacks calling themselves fact checkers. Couldn't be any more obvious. What about now the cable channels? 
Where can you share a message as a conservative that is against the dominant Democrat paradigm and know that you will not be silenced or know that you will not be deplatformed right away? Where, where do you even get that opportunity if Democrats get their way? No Fox News, no Newsmax, no One America News. What's next? The uh, Apple Store, there's already pressure to drop conservative podcasts down. Too many really well-performing conservative podcasts in, uh, in the world. And, you know, the various news outlets out there, I mean, various media outlets uh, on the left have been so upset recently about unfettered conversation, unmonitored conversation happening on this new app, Clubhouse. So we're having to find technological end runs on Stasi-style suppression from the Democrat Party, top down, from the people that are elected, from members of Congress, from the biggest news organizations, the Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN, the DNC, all working together to shut down people like me, to shut this down, to shut down anyone who disagrees with them, who wants to make a case for why their ideas are wrong and the country would be better off if we pursued a different path. They don't want to hear about that different path. Here's FCC Commissioner uh, Brendan Carr. By writing letters to cable providers and other regulated entities that carry these news media outlets, the Democrats are sending a message that is as clear as it is troubling. These regulated entities will pay a price if the targeted newsrooms do not conform to Democrats' preferred political narratives. This is a chilling transgression of the free speech rights that every media outlet in this country enjoys. Gosh, the chilling effect. You, want to know, you don't want to know what a chilling effect is? It's when companies have to make decisions. Do we stand for anything? Or are we not going to be able to give our employees paychecks so they can feed themselves and their families? And so we have to make a decision based on that. This is the world the Democrats want us all living in. Sure, you've got free speech. Say anything we don't like and you're done. You're bankrupt. You're ruined. We'll even use the power of the government. That's what we're talking about here. This isn't free speech just as a principle. This is Congress now. Oh, nice cable company you got there. It'd be a shame if we uh, sick the FCC, uh, the FCC on them, right? It'd be a shame if we brought the wrath of the federal government down on your head, AT&T. So you better just purge yourself of these conservative troublemakers. Now, Fox News will almost certainly endure. Newsmax, One America. By the way, they're competitors of what we do right here. And I don't care. I don't want them getting purged. I don't want them getting canceled. I don't want them to be targeted by the suppressive left in this way. You, they want to make fun of what people say here or Newsmax or One America News. The left wants to make the counter argument. They want to mock us and say we're dumb and stupid and ugly and whatever. That's all, that's all free speech. And by the way, they'll never actually show up and debate us in person because they'll get crushed. But they should at least understand that we're losing something critical, something essential in our society, when half the country really believes that silencing the other half, pretty much entirely, I mean, making it so your private speech is all that's possible. Can't get on cable, can't be on the internet, can't, you name it. I mean, where else are, can't own a major newspaper that's gonna have the same kind of circulation because it's all internet-based now. So how do you actually have reach? When Twitter and Facebook and all these other companies come after you, well, that's the, really the question. Um, I'm very worried about this. I'm very worried about this because the biggest uh, enemies of free speech in America today 
are actually the people who, as a matter of their profession, journalists, claim that they are defenders of it. That gives you a sense of how upside down the world has become. And the Democrats are open American authoritarians now. All right, Democrats continue to push a $2 trillion COVID-19 package. Some say it's very little to do with fighting COVID-19. Uh, up next, we got National Review's David Harsanyi to join us to discuss that and more. You never thought COVID-19 could cost you your home, right? Well, it actually can. Here's how. Cybercrime overall is up about 75% during the pandemic. And by far the most serious cybercrime to worry about when it comes to your home is home title theft. That's right, cyber criminals, foreign and domestic, are now after our homes, and it's easier than you'd think. The title documents to our homes are online now. The thief finds your home's title and forges your signature on a quitclaim deed stating you sold your home to him. Then he takes out loans on your home and leaves you in debt. You won't know until late payment notices or eviction notices arrive in the mail usually, and insurance often doesn't cover you, and neither do common identity theft programs. That's why I protect my home with Home Title Lock. The instant Home Title Lock de uh, detects someone tampering with my home's title, they help shut it down. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim, then use code RADIO to receive 30 free days of protection. That's code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com, code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com. This bill is too expensive and too expansive. You've listed a lot of things in there. And think about this. This is supposed to be a COVID bill. Only 9% of it goes to COVID. What they are doing is telling you the swamp is back. Senate Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy echoing the concerns of a lot of Republicans on Capitol Hill as Democrats push an almost $2 trillion COVID-19 relief package. GOP has been slamming the size of the bill, saying it's packed with programs that have, no surprise, absolutely nothing to do with the pandemic. Here to talk about this and also the latest from uh, Dr. Fauci is senior writer at National Review, David Harsanyi. David, good to see you. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I just want to start with, before we get into the COVID relief bill and how much of it actually has to do with COVID relief, let's talk about where we are with the pandemic and the public health guidance. The, the czar of COVID, which is probably what we should call him, Dr. Fauci. Here he is on where things actually stand, even for the vaccinated. We are still at an unacceptably high baseline level, with the seven-day average being quite high. So there are things, even if you're vaccinated, that you're not going to be able to do in society. For example, indoor dining, theaters, places where people congregate. That's because of the safety of society. You can't do indoor dining even when everybody's vaccinated? I'm just... I'm just wondering, I mean, how much, how much more stupid, crazy stuff does he get to say before people realize what's really going on here? Well, it's insanity, first of all, to say that to people who are vaccinated, but we already have indoor dining in most places, don't right? we? I mean, in most of the country. So I'm not sure what he's talking about. Maybe he doesn't know that. Maybe he wants us to lock down further and take a step back. Um, we don't know because he's constantly making up things because he acts like a nanny stater who wants to coax us into better behavior. And I love how he uses the word can't, the things we can't do as if he's in charge of what we can and cannot do. Um, he acts that way. And that's why the other day he said he wished that there was a more centralized control over the country and that states didn't have so much say, basically, in their own pandemic responses because he wants to control what we do. I feel like he's been in control. <laughs> One thing that doesn't seem to get through, certainly with the corporate media, 
is that we have been following the path as a nation. We've been following the path of Fauciism here for a year. We're a year into this now. And this guy gets to turn around and say, yeah, we've had a, America's had a really bad response to this. One of the worst in the world. I look at this and say, okay, well, he's like the general of the army here. And if you're losing a war that badly, the general's supposed to resign. Well, it's objectively false that we're the worst reaction. This is something that a lot of people on the left like to say because they're pessimistic about America and they want to constantly demean our our response to anything through that we do. But um, I don't know. I agree with you in general. There was a lot of Fauciism, but I'm not sure that that's the case in Florida and other places where people were, I think, opening up faster than certainly he would have liked. And those places probably outperformed the places that he praised. He praised New York. He well, said right. Cuomo had done a better job than anyone. A, a, a better way to describe, a better way for me to have said it would be, there was a lot of Fauciism in New York, in New Jersey, in California, in Maryland. And, you know, you look at these states with terrible outcomes, terrible outcomes. And Fauci was saying, look, they're doing it the right way. And they kept doing it the way he told them. And they had nightmarish COVID spikes all throughout the winter and worse outcomes in Florida, as you point out. So I just, I, you know, we're, we're, I'm hoping we can start to have an honest conversation about this as a country, but, you know, that's, that's asking for way too much. Um, let's talk about this uh, $1.9 trillion relief bill. Uh, things that are in there, David, the federal minimum wage, $15 an hour, $270 million in uh, arts and humanities endowments, $200 million for museums, libraries. 50 million in family planning, 112 million for BART funding. I mean, you just go down this list. You see $100 million for the Silicon Valley transit expansion, whatever the heck that actually is going to end up being in real life. Um, this is, it feels, I mean, I, I, as a conservative, David, I sit here, I feel like I just kind of, you know, wave, you know, wave my shirt around screaming, hey, hey, look at all this wasteful spending. This is how it happens, right? They're in charge now. They're going to spend a whole bunch of stuff and they're going to tell us that it's all COVID money somehow. Yeah, I saw Biden the other day was saying, listen, how can Republicans morally stand against this bill? I think it's pretty easy. How can you morally lard up a bill with all your hobby horses when you're supposedly we need this money is necessary and we need to save people? I think it's less and less necessary as we move forward, because as the vaccine rolls out, as the numbers go down, the best uh, the best way to help the economy, the best way to stimulate it is to let people go back to work and let everyone out of their houses fully. That would be the best way to do it. This is the usual thing that that Democrats do. They just lard up these bills with their stuff, a a minimum wage. That should be debated separately in a bill so we can talk about the harm it does for um, the poor and how many jobs it kills. But instead, they want to sneak it into a bill like this. This is all what we've been doing. But, you know, just in the big picture, the precedent now is that we just passed trillion dollar bills as stimulus whenever there's a, a downturn. I mean, that is nuts if you think about it. Um, we used to talk about the whole budget of the United States in trillion dollar terms. Now we're talking about trillion dollar bills. That is, I mean, I know no one cares about the deficit and no one cares about spending, but you can only do this for so long before there's going to be a price to pay. The, the problem is people don't care until they have to care. And then it's too late to do very much about it. And then who suffers the most? The middle class, people that don't have a tremendous amount of assets that aren't going to benefit from Fed policies meant to inflate assets. That's what ends up happening. But the Democrats won't tell people that it's all just free money now. We all, it all just comes out of the sky, comes out of the air. Jim Jordan tweeted out, it really is, a, is it really a COVID-19 bill if less than 9% of the bill goes to defeating COVID? I think we all know the, the answer to that. Um, but, you know, David, do you think that the, De- the Democrats, I know it's so early to talk about the midterms for a lot of people, but do they pay a price for this stuff? It feels like 
They won the last election. They're going to spend a whole lot of money. And people like you and me can point out what's true about it. But for a lot of folks, as long as they get some kind of a check and they can attribute it to the COVID-19 bill, all the other stuff, they won't even pay attention to. Yeah, but a ton of people who, mat who matter, a ton of people who matter in the voting won't, won't be getting a check. I'm not sure that a ton of people in swing districts that went to Biden um, that were Trump's before because, you know, because they didn't like how Trump was acting or didn't like his, you know, the aesthetics of Trump will be happy when there's giant bills being passed and they don't really see much of a benefit from it, especially when that bill doesn't really benefit, isn't a COVID relief bill. So I think that I don't, the polls do not show that the Democrats are paying any price yet, but I think that that could catch up to them because I think Biden's done a really poor job in these first few months, but there's been the Trump impeachment, et cetera. But at some point, I think it will catch up to them. But even with redistricting itself, they could lose the House, right? I think it's just six seats or something like that. So they could be in real danger of losing the House and the Senate next time. Um, I mean, they act like they have a majority forever with these kinds of bills and the sort of left-wing rhetoric they're using. But I don't know why they're doing that. I mean, they could easily lose both houses. David Arsani, everybody at National Review. Check out nationalreview.com for his latest. David, thanks for joining us. Anytime. Thank you. Senate hearings on the January 6th Capitol riot began today. We have a look coming up as to what was said in tonight's Buck Brief. The Senate is holding hearings today to uncover what really happened to the Capitol on January 6th. As was to be expected, the Democrats are using the opportunity to grandstand, uh, put conspiracy theories out there, and generally scapegoat everyone to the right of Ruth Bader Ginsburg as a domestic terrorist, white supremacist, all that kind of stuff. Everyone sane has already and consistently condemned the violence and anarchy that took place on January 6th in that riot. Despite that, of course, the left and their mainstream media allies continue to push a false narrative that former President Donald Trump and his supporters somehow either promoted this violence openly or that it was an inside job. As ridiculous as that sounds, that is now the Democrat talking point. Let's dive into the latest to come out of the Capitol Hill hearing on today's Buck Brief. There have been a lot of really serious charges leveled, not just about the individuals involved in lawbreaking and the, the riot itself, they should be prosecuted. We on the right, conservatives, we actually believe in the rule of law. We believe that it binds all of us. But there were other ideas that the media was pushing for a number of weeks, including that perhaps there were members of the Capitol Hill police who were complicit in this, who were part of it. So depending on what news broadcast you're watching at CNN or MSNBC at any given time, depending on what you're seeing, it, it might have been that the Capitol Hill police were viciously, brutally attacked and murdered by the protesters. It turns out that it doesn't seem that any of the actual police officers were killed by the direct action of a protester, but that's not what was reported. To then on the other side, that the Capitol Hill police were complicit in all of this. Well, there was a question today uh, about the appearance of complicity from the Capitol Hill police. Here's how that was responded to. Speaker Pelosi has asked retired Lieutenant General Russell Honore to lead an immediate review of Capitol security in light of the attack. Uh, the general has said that the leadership of the Capitol Police, that'd be you, Mr. Sund, and both of you, gentlemen, the House and Senate Sergeants at Arms, he's criticized you for, and I'm quoting now, the appearance of complicity during the attack. 
and also said that you were potentially undertook complicit actions. Those are his words during the attack. Mr. Sund, were you complicit in this attack on January 6th? Absolutely not, sir. I've heard those comments as well, and I think it's disrespectful to myself and to the members of the uh, Capitol Police Department. Yeah. They were complicit. They were having to defend themselves, to use force. And there was some very violent stuff going on, on that, in the Capitol Hill riot. Uh, there were people who were killed, although as of right now, it seems the only people who were killed from direct action on that day were protesters. Uh, one person trampled, it is believed, by protesters. And then there's a woman, Ashley Babbitt, who was shot in the neck by Capitol Hill police and killed. Uh, we still haven't gotten very much information about what the justification was for that. It doesn't seem to be the general policy of law enforcement that unarmed protesters, even when they're breaking property, can be shot up close and killed. That, that is not yet a policy that has received any explanation. So we're wondering when that will happen. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson brought up something interesting as well, that while, let's be very clear, it was primarily people who were in support of, in their own minds, they did tremendous damage to Trump, of course, with the riot, but in support of Trump in some twisted way, that was, that was certainly the majority of the people who were there. There were some people who were there trying to make things worse who were actually leftists and activists. There were some. This is what the senator said. Play uh, Ron of people Johnson. I passed or who passed me along Constitution Avenue, some were indignant and con- contemptuous of Congress, but not one appeared angry or incited to riot. Many of the marchers were families with small children. Many were elderly, overweight, or just plain tired or frail. Traits not typically attributed to the riot prone. Many wore pro-police shirts or carried pro-police black and blue flags. Although the crowd represented a broad cross-section of Americans, mostly working class by their appearance and manner of speech, some people stood out. A very few didn't share the jovial, friendly, earnest demeanor of the great majority. Some obviously didn't fit in. And he describes four different types of people, plainclothes militants, agents provocateurs, fake Trump protesters, and then disciplined, uniformed column of attackers. I think these are the people that uh, probably planned this. So he's saying there are, there are people who are on the right, the disciplined column of attackers, who are the lawbreakers, the people that should be held accountable. But there were agents uh, provocateur, if you will, uh, agents of provocation, who were a part of all of this as well. So he's just noting that. That's not to, that's not to excuse anything. It's not, but we're going to have a full discussion about everything that was going on that day. We should know all of the facts. And why did it take so long to get the National Guard authorization for Capitol Hill. This was an interesting exchange. Um, And to be clear, apart from the Capitol Police Board, you also faced delays in getting authorization to bring in the National Guard from the Department of Defense. Is that correct? We'll be hearing from them next week. Yes, ma'am, that is correct. Um, Would you agree that there were serious issues at the Pentagon that contributed um, to the fact that Guard troops did not arrive at the Capitol until about 5.40 that day? after most of the violence had subsided? I, I don't know what issues there were at the, the Pentagon, but I was certainly surprised at the delays I was, I was hearing and I was seeing. There were delays. Why? And why was the offer to have National Guard at the Capitol in advance, especially given that some law enforcement, federal law enforcement, for example, knew that there was some plan in effect before Trump gave his speech, as we know as well, there was some plan to do something at the Capitol. Why were the initial offers 
made of National Guard troops turned down? Can we find out about that? Can we, can we get answers to these questions? I, I certainly hope so. And then there's the chief of the Metropolitan Police Department in D.C., who is, no surprise, blaming Donald Trump for the lack of National Guard deployment in, inside of D.C. to the Capitol. Here's what he said. I would like to begin by highlighting a few key facts to ensure the committees and the audience understand the very different roles of Mayor Muriel Bowser and the District of Columbia, including MPD, and those of congressional and federal authorities. First, MPD is prohibited by federal law from entering the Capitol or its grounds to patrol, make arrests, or serve warrants without the consent or request of the Capitol Police Board. Second, the President of the United States, not the Mayor of the District of Columbia, controls the D.C. National Guard. Hmm. I'm going to continue to look at this and see what exactly happened that day. In detail, we should know, for example, the latest reporting on what happened to Officer Sicknick is that he died of a stroke after the entire ruckus, the riot at Capitol Hill. Perhaps had actually nothing to do with it. A stroke. We were told he was beaten to death with an American flagpole by the media for weeks. So I think it is important we get the facts right here. We should know what happened. Efforts to censor the right continue. This time, a prominent conservative author has been just removed from Amazon's digital shelves. Author Ryan Anderson explains why he believes he's being targeted when we come back. These days, being prepared for the unknown is more important than ever. I'm sure you've noticed the world we live in today is anything but predictable, and we could all benefit from something reliable right about now. What could be more reliable than real gold and silver? I'm talking about real gold and silver you can actually hold right in your hands. Call the Oxford Gold Group now and learn how easy it is to get real gold and silver sent securely directly to your home, or how you can have real gold and silver placed in your IRA or 401k. Just call the Oxford Gold Group at 833-600-GOLD and ask for your free guide on owning gold and silver. Again, call the Oxford Gold Group right now at 833-600-GOLD. The Oxford Gold Group is the only gold company I trust. Call them right now, 833-600-GOLD. One more time, that's 833-600-GOLD. Don't wait for inflation to kick up. Don't wait for the economy to drop out. Do what you need to today to prepare for an uncertain future with real gold and silver. The Oxford Gold Group, 833-600-GOLD. Is Amazon becoming the king of cancel culture? From selling books to banning books, the online retail giant has a history of censoring authors that don't coincide with the company's liberal agenda. So is Ryan Anderson the latest target of this? The 2018 bestseller, When Harry Became Sally, responding to the transgender moments, what we're going to talk about now, it challenges the science pushed by transgender activists. And even though the book is well-argued and supported by scientific facts, it doesn't matter. Amazon pulled the book from its website, taking upon them, uh, themselves to decide what consumers like me and you should and should not be able to read. Where does it end? Joining me now is the author of that book, Ryan A Anderson. Uh, Ryan, uh, congrats on being the latest in the club of cancellation, whether it's on social media, Amazon, you know, radio, TV. We're all, we're all getting canceled for everything these days, especially when you say things that are true. Uh, that's the worst, the worst offense these days. But tell me about this. Uh, first, the, the Amazon is still currently selling. They're not selling your book anymore, but they are selling Let Harry 
Become Sally, so that's still in the, which only gets two stars and like 30 ratings, which means that this is a book that the author and immediate family members actually read. And then uh, Hitler's Mein Kampf uh, is also available in the stores. Why isn't your book available in stores anymore? What happened? Who knows? Uh, they haven't told us. They never reached out to notify me ahead of time. And since they canceled the book, you know, I've reached out. The publisher reached, has reached out and no response, no explanation offered. Um, the timing is a little suspicious. The book had been out for three years. They have sold tens of thousands of copies of the book at Amazon. And um, the week that the House of Representatives is set to push forward a radical gender ideology bill, uh, the book gets canceled. Now, it could just be a coincidence or... Who knows what's going on because they're not saying a thing. Well, let's take this opportunity with people watching us have a discussion here about the book. Tell me what what happens uh, in when Harry became Sally. Well, I mean, so it's it's the title is a playoff of obviously the movie. Uh, the movie was the idea that men and women are so different they can't be friends. And now a generation later, the idea is that men and women are interchangeable and that a boy could be trapped in a girl's body. You could be gender fluid. You could be a gender hybrid, et cetera, et cetera. And none of this is based in science. None of this is based in good philosophy or good medicine. Uh, we are corrupting an entire generation of young people um, who are having just radical experiments performed upon their bodies. There, there's a surgeon out there, give you both male and female genitalia, if that's what you desire. Um, and this is not a happiness that they're looking uh, so the book blows the whistle on this, and obviously the overlords at Amazon are not happy about that. And tell me, when you, when you bring up the science here, uh, where, are, where are doctors that actually study this? I mean, you know, I remember when the head of, I think it was uh, sex reassignment surgery at Johns Hopkins, although I may, they, they've probably changed the name of it now a few times over, came out and wrote that the long-term consequences for people having gender gender affirmation surgery now i know that's what it's supposed to be called gender affirmation surgery the long-term consequences for this are actually quite negative for the people who get those procedures he has been pushed aside i know this was the the chief of this of this uh, program at johns hopkins university medical center so are there doctors out there are, are there people that are pushing this as science because it seems like we hear from a lot of activists oh yeah so what you're what you're seeing is that um the scientists the doctors who are activists themselves are conducting the studies to say it's great. The media then runs headlines saying, you know, largest data set ever shows that sex reassignment surgeries bring benefits. And then some actual scientists and number crunchers reevaluate the data. And then 12 months later, they issue a formal correction saying it actually brought no benefits. And on two measures, it brought. And that's a study that just came out last year. And when the study first came out, the media touted it, saying how great this is for people. The media did not cover the correction. But the reality is that the largest data set we have shows no improvements for people who go through with sex reassignment surgeries and on two metrics, considerable harms. You wrote an op-ed in the New York Post on Biden's Equality Act that it's a danger to women's and conscience rights. Rather than finding common sense, narrowly tailored ways to shield LGBT identifying Americans from truly unjust discrimination, the bill would act as a sword to persecute those who don't embrace newfangled gender ideologies. The Equality Act would sacrifice the hard-won rights of women while privileging men who identify as women. Uh, so this, this all ties into right women's sports teams now 
you've got, as a matter of federal matter of federal mandate, you have to allow men to compete in women's sports, and there's more than just that. Yes, if this became law, that's exactly what Congress would now be saying to every local school district and any private school that receives any federal funding, which is more or less everything and everyone. It would be saying that you have to treat the man who identifies as a woman as if he actually is a woman. Uh, this also has, I mean, huge implications for hospitals, for doctors, for healthcare plans. If you um, will perform a double mastectomy for a woman with breast cancer, you would have to perform the double mastectomy for a woman who wants to identify as a man. And there are no age requirements here. Uh, your tax dollars paid for two double mastectomies on 13-year-old girls uh, in California, right? So when this becomes and it becomes mandated, the problems are just that much worse. Ryan, tell me how much of a problem and, and how, how rapidly is transgender identification among children growing? I mean, how, how much is this an issue that, that we're facing and, and why does it seem like it's so much more recent? Yeah, I mean, this is what the, uh, uh, the, the researchers refer to as a social contagion, the idea that there are certain ideas that can be contagious in you know, an analogous sense. In the UK, they saw a 4,400% increase in the number of teenage girls who were going to clinics seeking testosterone and other therapies to identify as boys. Now, when you see a 4,000 times increase in a phenomenon, you might want to you know, kind of push the brakes a little bit, slow down and say, what's going on? Something is going on here. It's not that all of these girls are trapped in the wrong body. Perhaps we have a culture that's not particularly uh, hospitable uh, to young women, right? This is happening at the same time that we see the Me Too phenomenon, right? Men mistreat women in a variety of ways in the culture get this wrong and it has consequences. So uh, right now, is it even possible you just have a, a book that seems to have been banned by Amazon and by Apple from what I see online, uh, right when it's a political hot button issue, is, is it possible for there to even be honest scholarship uh, or authorship and you know across the board in your opinion on this issue right now? Uh, it's possible, but it's difficult. I mean, I, and I think what you're gonna see is that a lot of this is gonna come from uh, independent study centers, independent research institutes. It's going to be published not by um, kind of uh, a double day and random house, but by, you know, publishers willing to take a risk by telling the truth, even if it's controversial. Uh, and which is simply to say that conservatives are going to have to build parallel institutions. But then we also can't just allow um, some of the big players like Amazon, like Facebook, like Twitter to then censor us. We're going to have to think through how big tech also poses a threat to freedom and flourishing. Ryan, I'm a, I'm a big supporter of actually buying the books of people that were when we support their ideas. So I'm going to go buy your book and I want the audience to buy it too when Harry became Sally. But where can we do that? Because I'm not going to lie to you. Usually I just go to Amazon. So tell us where right. folks could buy it. Go directly to the publisher. Go to encounterbooks.com. Um, Encounter has it in stock. Encounter will ship it right to you. And look at their other books that they publish. They publish a lot of great material. Um, so visit EncounterBooks.com. All right. Ryan Anderson, thanks so much for joining us, man. Good luck to you. Thank you. We got more, which means quick hits, and that's next. But before the break, I want to thank you for watching the first and supporting free speech. Now, I'm not sure how you're watching us right now, but if you haven't downloaded the first TV app yet, you need to do it right now. 
You can watch Hold the Line or whatever you want on demand anytime, anywhere on our channel. You can do this on your tablet, smart TV, or iPhone. Just go to your favorite app store and search The First TV. It's absolutely free, so you have no excuse. Plus, it's not just my show, of course. You get access to Bill O'Reilly, Jesse Kelly, Dana Lash, and Mike Slater. So don't wait. Download The First TV app right now. Tesla CEO Elon Musk has some tough words for Jeff Bezos, and John Kerry sets a deadline for doomsday. Got those stories coming up in quick hits. Uh, let's get right to actually something, though, from last night on Tucker Carlson's show, where he had a, a liberal, Naomi Wolf, who almost sounds like she listens to the Buck Sexton radio show or hold the line here on the first TV. Seems like she's in line with my commentary, which is that American authoritarianism is real right now, and it's getting worse and people need to recognize what's going on here. Here's what she said. Nowhere in the Constitution does it say all this can be suspended if there's a bad disease. We have lived through typhus, cholera, smallpox, HIV, tuberculosis, polio, the Spanish flu. You know, we've lived through an attack on our soil. Never have there been months and months and months of emergency powers when we weren't actually fighting a war. So right. um, this is completely unprecedented. Lockdowns have never been done before in free societies. And really, we're turning into a version of a, a totalitarian state sort of before everyone's eyes. And I, I really hope you know, we wake up quickly because history also shows that it's a, a small window in which people can fight back before it's too dangerous to fight back. Everything she said is absolutely true. And I've been saying it now for a year. Yeah. I hope people wake up. At some point what happens is that the cost is too high for any individual to speak out about this and so the new normal becomes whatever the people in charge say it is. You think that starts to, it almost sounds in your ear when you hear that out loud, you say, it sounds a little bit like something Fauci would say. The new normal is whatever we say it is. That's normal. Normal is what we tell you is normal. That's the America you're living in right now. The window is closing for us to actually get back to life as we knew it. Even as the pandemic is receding and vaccines are out there, there are people who are in power, they're in control. They do not want to give it up. Elon Musk, the uh, richest guy in the world. I guess him, Elon, and uh, actually Jeff Bezos, two of the richest guys in the world. Here's what Elon wrote to WAPO. Tesla did not respond to re repeated requests for comment. In response to emails seeking comment, Musk replied only, Give my regards to your puppet master. <laughs> that's awesome. I gotta tell you, that's amazing. I gotta say, I really, I really enjoy that one. In a news with a, with a dozen current and former Tesla employees, investors and analysts, critics pointed to a series of questionable business moves and outright missteps by Tesla as a potential symptom of the outsized demands on Musk. They described a company where Musk is less present and increasingly isolated, where subordinates are reluctant to question the CEO's vision, yada, 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 et cetera. So like a hit piece on Musk and he's like, Say hi to your puppet master, WAPO. I love it. When you're the richest guy in the world and you're creating a perhaps future-defining and changing company for the entire, not just automotive industry, but energy power, batteries, all those things that could come from this, um, you get to say things like, tell the WAPO puppet master that I said hi. Uh, Merrick Garland is gonna be the Attorney General of the United States under Biden, we all know that. And here he was during hearings, he was asked a very straightforward question, something that you would think normally would not be a surprise. That's a very straightforward question. Here's the not straightforward answer he gave to it. Talk a little bit more about the law enforcement challenges at the border, which I know a number of other members have brought up with you. Just a, a fundamental question. Do you believe that illegal entry at America's border should remain a crime? 
Well, I haven't thought about uh, that question. Uh, uh, I just haven't thought about that question. I, I, I think, uh, you know, the, the president has uh, made clear that we are a country of uh, with the borders and with the concern about national security. Um, I don't know of a proposal to uh, decriminalize but still make it uh, unlawful to enter. I just don't know the answer to that question. I haven't thought about it. Just don't know guy's going to be the attorney general. I think he should think about whether illegally crossing in the United States should be illegal. Is it a crime? Is trespass against the federal government? Is violation of U.S. sovereignty a crime? Well, I think if it's not, do we have a border? If If you decriminalize illegal border crossings, do you have a border anymore? Ask yourself that question. And then he was also asked about defunding the police. Remember that rallying cry for the loony left all summer? Here's what Garland said. Tell me what your position is on defunding the police. Do you support this movement? Will you support it as attorney general? Well, as, as, you, as you no doubt know, um, President Biden has said he does not support uh, uh, defunding the police, and neither do I. So he's not totally insane. I actually think that we should take that as pretty good, all things considered. I, I think we should say, okay. Merrick Garland at least understands that if you get rid of all the cops, uh, you don't create a paradise. You create a hellhole. And we all know that. But somehow the, the Democrats, the left, they forgot that, at least over the summer when there were all those BLM protests. What did those BLM protests actually do other than help defeat perhaps Donald Trump in the election? Maybe that was all they were meant to do. But in terms of bringing crime down, no, crime actually went way up. In terms of better policing, what did they do for that? Nothing. But... It's not really about the results, right? It's about whatever the Democrats say it's supposed to be about. And speaking of Democrats, Arkansas, uh, Senator in Arkansas, uh, Jim Hendren, left, left the GOP. I don't even heard of this guy before, but let's hear what the clown has to say. And the party that I joined way back when I finished high school and proudly cast a vote for Ronald Reagan and believed in the principles, and one of those principles was character counts and matters, but it was also the principles of conservative, limited government, a strong national defense, and so many things that I believe in. Uh, Those have all taken a backseat now to a personality. And again, as you you saw there earlier, when I saw what happened after the election, I I just can't be part of that anymore. If you want to be on CNN for five minutes and have them pat you on the head and give you a cookie, Leave the GO. Just, just tell everybody you're leaving the GOP, even if you're like the Arkansas dog catcher or something. So there you have it. OCNN. What a joke. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is up next. Shields high.